the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, July 29th, 2021. As we head into our second hour, it's a privilege and delight to bring back uh, Tevi Troy. Dr. Troy is uh, one of America's greatest presidential and cultural historians, best-selling author. His most recent book, Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump, had two important columns getting a lot of attention this week. One about the passing of a great American man, Jackie Mason, and one about the doings of a great American president, Ronald Reagan. Let's do the first, first, and the second, second, Tevi. Uh, first of all, thanks for joining us. Hope all is well. Thanks, Seth. It's great to be here. You betcha. Uh, Jackie Mason, not a name familiar with anyone probably under or just a little under our age, early 50s perhaps. Uh but actually a very important man in the culture, not only for what he did, but his life story. Tell us why Jackie Mason was worth remembering, and uh, especially over his passing this past week. Yes, Jackie Mason, who died this week at 93, was a very funny New York comedian who brought a certain what's known as borscht belt sensibility uh, to comedy, and he... uh, he did a one-man show in on Broadway in the 1980s that was made him the toast of the town. He was on magazine covers. He hung out with Donald Trump at, at Trump Tower, and um, he got involved in some political races. He was a big supporter of Rudy Giuliani when Giuliani ran for mayor, and uh, he was just <coughs> kind of a, a New York cultural icon for many decades. But the other interesting thing about him is that his career was... Uh, derailed in the early 1960s after an incident with Ed Sullivan, and he clawed his way back from uh, the depths of despair into the um, into the heights of uh, being the toast of New York. And it reminds me of something that Richard Nixon said, which is only if you've been in the deepest valleys can you appreciate the view from the highest. Yes, that's right. And Ma- and Mason had been through a few of those. Is the movie, the Billy Crystal movie, Mr. Saturday Night, which is a, probably the darkest movie I've ever seen Billy Crystal do, is that in part based a little bit on the Jackie Mason story? Do you know that movie? I saw it a long time ago, and I don't remember. We're, we're, we're three know, watching if you're in a dark mood, but... <laughs> but the reason I ask is there is an incident where Billy Crystal uh, flips off uh, his television host and then for years and years and years has a hard time getting booked. If the story. Well, that's clearly based yeah, on Jackie. Yeah. yeah. So, and ultimately, if I'm not mistaken, do I remember this right? Ed Sullivan ended up apologizing to Jackie. Yes, but after a number of years and uh, <laughs> after the career was derailed, and as Jackie said, it took me uh, 20 years uh, to come back from what was destroyed in one minute. Do you think Jackie may – well, I, this is an unfair question in the sense because it may be true not only of Jackie Mason, but it might be true 
of any kind of comedian that you would hear on Comedy Central or on uh, satellite that maybe I haven't heard of. But would Jackie Mason survive today if he were in his prime? Could he do his comic routine today? Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, Jackie Mason was not politically correct. And the thing about him was, uh, and then what I said in the City Journal piece, is that he was a classic New Yorker who made fun of everyone, his own group included, uh, more so than everyone else. But he made fun of every different ethnic group in ways that were quite funny, quite telling, uh, but ways that would probably not be seen as okay from the, uh, the, the woke warriors who seem to police our culture today. Is there a chance, you've written a lot on political correctness and overcoming it, and you you and I uh, had an interview about uh, several ways I think you had identified, you had provided a list of memory serves on ways we could overcome it in ways that we had overcome it before. Do you think, in retrospect, studying as you have Jackie Mason's career, other comedians' careers, are comedians... Are, are they are are they going to be part of a vanguard that leads us out of the situation we're in, or have they themselves, with a couple of exceptions, just become too much part and parcel of the problem itself? Well, I think there's two possibilities. One possibility is that comedians do help lead the path forward by laughing at the nonsense from the woke warriors. Ricky Gervais and, is a good example of this. Well, Ricky Gervais is a man of the left. Yeah who believes in free speech and the ability to say what he wants. And he is mortified that today just being in favor of free speech makes him typed as a right-winger in right. these terms. Right. So he's unhappy that because he's for free speech that he's considered a conservative just for that very simple position. Whereas, as you know, Seth, for a long time, free speech is one of the tenets of the left. And it just seems absurd to me that the, the left has thrown away free speech uh, but that is where we are today. And the comic left. I'm thinking of people like Lenny Bruce, you know? The comic left made made free speech an issue, as did, uh, you know, as you point out, as did as did the radicals of, of, of the 60s. The, the, the biggest, the, the biggest event in Berkeley jail. in the 60s was called the free speech movement. That's true. Maris Avril and his movement at Berkeley is called the free speech movement. But, but Lenny Bruce went to jail yeah. because he wanted to say certain things on stage that it was not seen as okay to say back in those days. It was a complete violation of the First Amendment. So, yep. uh, yeah, I think we're in a problematic place where uh, many people on the left uh, don't accept free speech. And there are some on the right who don't accept free speech. And, you know, uh, you know, I am an adamant supporter of free speech. I don't like what everybody says, but I'm not going to go around banning what they have to say. Tevi, um, unless there's more on Jackie, which we can return to, I want to talk about the other great American, several great Americans you wrote about. One is a name perhaps not familiar to a lot in the audience, Peter Robb. The other is a name very familiar to people in the audience, Ronald Reagan. Interesting anniversary and interesting, what would you say, at, uh, what would you say tying together of two parts of history here with that anniversary that's coming up next week. Tell us what I'm talking about. It's true, but but first you you gave me the opportunity to say a little more about uh, Jackie yeah, Mason. Yeah, go ahead. And the funny thing about Jackie Mason, in addition to his life story, his Mason, he was very good on the subject of president. Yeah. And in fact, in his famous show, The World According to Me, he had an eight-minute riff on presidents that is absolutely hysterical, and that I urge your listeners to listen to after Seth's show is over. You should listen to the entire Seth show, of course, but make a note to listen on YouTube to just the Jackie Mason riff on presidents. And he has this great thing on Richard Nixon, and 
again, to be fair, he made fun of Republicans and Democratic presidents equally, as he should have, because that's what comedians should do. It's not like the situation today where you know Donald Trump is constantly derided by the comedians, and uh, they can't think of anything to say about Joe Biden, even though there's many obvious punchlines. And uh, the, the, uh, when Barack Obama was president, uh, the jokes about him were along the lines of, uh, oh, when Obama's going to Israel, he's going to visit the uh, manger he was born in. Yeah. So right. uh, the, the jokes about Obama and Biden have been incredibly gentle and incredibly soft. And when a Republican is president, they're, they're very rough. But Jackie Mason was willing to give it to both sides equally. And let me just, I can't do the full Jackie because he was unique. But he did have a great line about Richard Nixon, where he said, Richard Nixon, there was something going on every day. You never know what was going to happen. Everything was a mystery. I woke up every morning, and I would check to see if my furniture was still there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was a great line. So anyway, worth listening to Jackie's riff on presidents, including on President Reagan, where they talked about Reykjavik, the, the famous summit with, with Gorbachev, and that everybody was worried, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? Reagan, Reagan comes back, and they said, what happened? He said, nothing. And Jackie Mason uses that as a punchline. But the truth is, that nothing was a very important nothing. That Ronald Reagan chose not to make a bad deal with Gorbachev. And that showed American strength, and that helped us win the Cold War. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, you've done a nice job of what I'm supposed to be better at, which is the segue and the transition. To the other person you wrote about, Ronald Reagan, tell the audience about the anniversary coming up, really uh, first week of August, involving someone named Peter Robb, who recently lost a job, and of course Ronald Reagan, the 40th president of the United States. Yeah, there was a person named Peter Robb, who until recently was the general counsel at the National Labor Relations Board. And Peter Robb was fired by Joe Biden, by President Biden, um, in a move that is relatively unusual because... The president usually doesn't have higher-and-fire authority over the general counsel at the National Labor Relations Board. Uh, He picks the members of the board, but not necessarily the general counsel there. And uh, Rob was fired because he was hated by the left, including especially the labor left, uh, because of one of the things he was involved in was the Reagan firing of the illegally striking air traffic controllers in 1981. And this is the anniversary we're about to see next week. Reagan made a strong decision to fire those 11,000 illegally striking workers who were violating their oath of office and were told not to strike. And Reagan fired them. And George Shultz, the Secretary of State, later called that the most important foreign policy decision of Reagan's presidency. Yeah, I want to pick up on that. There's a lot in that story and a lot in that anniversary and a lot in that instruction. And, uh, yes, a big nexus to the foreign policies that would come out of that administration, or at least the perception from our enemies and allies abroad. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Tevi Troy. His most recent book, Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump, but literally everything he's written is worth reading. And then again, I'm Seth Leibson. He's Tevi. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to have Dr. Tevi Troy with us, presidential and cultural historian, whose most recent book is Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump, one of our most... uh, prolific writers on the political and cultural scene. If you want to follow his work, his website is tevitroy, T-E-V-I, tevitroy.org. 
org. Uh, Tevi dot org, right, Tevi? It's Tevi Troy. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so, forty years ago, next week, the professional air traffic controllers union was planning to go on strike. Take it from there. So they were they were planning on going on strike uh, for much much higher wages. Uh, it was illegal for them to strike because they were federal employees, and they were warned not to strike. And they were planning on going ahead anyway. They were refusing to take the uh, the, the increased salary offer that they were getting. And there was a cabinet meeting that Ronald Reagan held to discuss the issue. And at that cabinet meeting, a bunch of his aides and secretaries were debating what to do. But Ronald Reagan was just sitting there, writing, 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 in the words of Michael Deaver, who was one of his top aides. And after about 15 minutes, Reagan stopped all the conversation, and he said, Hey, fellas, I've written something here, and I want to hear what you think. And he read a statement right then and there, and that statement was the exact statement that that, that went out right then and there and gave him the, word, the Rose Garden word for word without a change. Government cannot close down the assembly line. It has to provide without interruption the protective services, which are government's reason for being. Right? Yes. Very well done, Seth. And, and the, the statement is worth reading in its entirety, and I have a link to it in my Washington Examiner piece. But Even uh, then they Reagan, were saying Reagan was old and doddering as he was writing his own speeches, for God's sakes. Yeah, they were saying it, but, uh, hey, he was... Nine years younger than Joe Biden, yeah. and um, and I would say significantly more lucid. Yeah, <laughs> significantly. Yeah, yeah. Is that my understatement of the year. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Like the the difference between a cheetah and a snail. Um, Tevi, uh, <laughs> now the foreign policy aspect is interesting too, but before we get to the foreign policy aspect, I don't know what the word is for this. You've been in and out of various branches of government and think tank world and private industry. In Washington, D.C., there's, you know, an elected politician, an elected leader who has a bold idea. Perhaps firing federal workers who threaten to go on strike would be one of those bold ideas. And in the room of, I don't know, 10 of your closest advisors, at least nine and possibly 10 will cringe and say, you can't really do that, whatever that phenomenon is. And he says, no, boys, this is what we're doing. Um, Reagan did this a lot, and particularly in his speeches. I'm thinking of any number of examples. Certainly the Berlin Wall speech would be another one of those examples. Thank God there was that 10th man in Peter Robinson. (laughs) But, But... but you know what I'm talking about. Was this one of those moments? Was this one of those things where people were saying, oh, Mr. President, you can't fire 13,000 members of a union that endorsed you? It very well may be. But as I listen to you talk, Seth, I actually have come up with a term for this phenomenon that I think is perfect, and we can coin it right here on the radio. And the term for what you're talking about, which is where everyone in the room says, let's just stick with the status quo, let's not do anything to upset the apple cart. The term is swampism. And Ronald Reagan was regularly willing and able to overcome swampism with his strong statements, whether it was on PATCO or on the Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. I love it. So for the rest of the audience and for the fine people at uh, the Webster Dictionary, 
let's let's clarify what we've done here. Uh, when the group think is accelerated into hand wringing unanimity, it's called swamping. Near unanimity, let's say. When groupthink is translated into okay, when when groupthink is translated into near unanimous stasis, you have swampism. Yeah, perfect. I think that's good. Perfect, Bill. You'll never forget that, will you? Good. Bill loves that sort of thing. Talk to me about why this was this domestic and legal effort. The domestic legal effort was a boon for our foreign policy. Well, as, as I cite in the piece, uh, Schultz also said that people watched this tough stance by Ronald Reagan. And remember, Ronald Reagan was, as you said, derided as old and senile and a cowboy and a fool and all this nonsense that was wrong. And also, he's recently come off being shot. Right. He was shot in March mm-hmm. of 1981. And, and a near-death experience at that for a guy, not only for a guy who was old, but it was a near-death experience for anyone. And... There was questions about how tough he is, what kind of stances he would take. And Ronald Reagan took this tough stance, and as George Shultz characterized it, leaders around the world said, he's willing to do that. He might be willing to do other things. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And those other things included standing up to the Soviet Union. And if you recall, its famous strategy for the Cold War was four words. Do you remember them? Yeah. We, we win, win, you lose. They lose. Yeah. Yeah, we win, they lose. Tevi, is there, in your estimation, uh, an action Joe Biden has taken domestically that foreign policy observers are watching? I have a thought or two about them. Um, I would say perhaps the approval of, well, it's sort of foreign policy, but certainly certainly what's going on with our borders, certainly uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the allowing of the pipeline, uh, the Russian-German pipeline. And I would and even... the disallowing of the American one. Yeah, the, uh, while disallowing the American one. I th- that, I'm glad you said that because I think that's what speaks loudly abroad. Um, I would say those two things probably more than anything else at this point do speak to the foreign, to, to our foreign adversaries as well as allies. Is there anything I'm missing well, let me say things that are, I don't want to say in favor of Joe Biden, uh-huh. but perhaps uh, less reprehensible than, uh, than other Democrats would have, have done, which is on Cuba, they, they did refuse to say communism, but they were kind of in favor of the people pushing for freedom. And I wish they had been willing to denounce uh, Until they allowed Mayorkas to clear that up for the left. Right. Yeah. And then the second thing was on Israel when there was the war with Hamas, I think Biden gave Israel a little more leeway to defend itself from from rocket attacks, constant rocket attacks that were coming from Hamas than you would have seen from other Democrats that were seen today. So, I agree with that. I, I think I agree with all those assessments. Um, uh, there's um, there's another there's another point to this and Reagan, though, I think uh, that I, that I wanted to mention and get your thoughts on. Tevi, um, let me do it on the other side of this break because before we, after we do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about California and the candidacy of Larry Elder and Republican Party politics. Another thing you're expert at. My thesis is that uh, there is a very potential, indeed likely, 
earthquake that's going to rock California like it hasn't been before, and its name is Hurricane Larry. Can we talk about that on the other side of this break? I would love to talk about Larry Elder and his campaign script. Fantastic. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Tevi Troy. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Presidential and cultural historian Tevi Troy is uh, is our guest. Uh, Tevi, you uh, you study a lot of politics. You 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 know you know California politics uh, actually pretty well. You've lived in California. I want to um, I want to talk to you about what I predict uh, could uh, predict could is 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 ridiculous. What I am predicting as well as hoping. Uh, will transpire this year, which is by the end of the year, the name of the governor in California will be Elder. I think there are a lot of ways that this can happen and that it indeed is not only possible, but probable. Uh, I'm happy to give you my reasons, but I'll let you speak first because I'm guessing if you share my views, we have a lot of the same reasons, though I don't know if you share my views. Well, I think it would be terrific if Larry Elder became the next governor of California. He is smart. He went to Michigan Law School. He is an excellent communicator. Obviously, he's been on the radio for many years. He's African-American. And I just think he's an all-around great guy. So I'm a big fan. Um, The way the recount works is the majority of Californians have to vote to oust Gavin Newsom, who's been a terrible governor and has been shown to be a hypocrite with his high-priced dinner at the French Laundry when everybody else is told to be in COVID lockdown. And then once that happens, they have other candidates who vie for the role if Gavin Newsom is indeed ousted. And I think in a split field, Larry Elder, as a Republican, could, could win. And I think he'd be a great spokesperson for the Republican Party and for conservative values going forward. Uh, yeah, and, and the reason I think it's probable is a cup is twofold. One is the polls are showing a tightening almost, in fact, not almost, but within a margin of error as to whether that first question will be answered in the affirmative. That is to say, Governor Newsom shall be recalled or should be recalled. That that That's that's a 47 percent proposition right now, according to the latest poll, which I think is going to increase as lockdowns and shutdowns throughout California increase. This has got to be incredibly poor timing, and I'm sure Gavin Newsom knows it, which is why I'm guessing he's allowing the state and uh, excuse me the city and local officials to carry the water he was happy to carry uh, a year ago and doesn't want to be attached to right now uh, i think that's not one to mention th- the general dysfunction of the entire state well that was the other thing uh, california is a national story as a sewer at this point uh, when you have 75 percent literally 75 percent of san francisco residents and this is one of the most liberal cities and one of the most liberal states Seventy-five percent of the residents say if they could move out, they would. Wow. I yeah, not heard that. Exactly. Exactly. I don't blame them having been to San Francisco. I but, know. Anyway. I know. And that was, a chamber of, that was a Chamber of Commerce poll, which tells you that the kind of people they're probably polling are the kind of people that also would employ and have a lot of down, downstream effects. But having said that... There's an awful lot of restaurant owners and an awful lot of restaurant employees who probably were apolitical, if not Democrats, um, up until um, really up until last year. And they're going to go through it again. Um, There is nothing good to say about the most important things having to do with California or really any state crime, education, health, safety, 
homelessness, homelessness. substance <laughs> abuse, you name it. Can we say homelessness a few more times? Homelessness, 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 which is, of course, also tied to the issue of substance abuse, all having skyrocketed. This is a state that pays people close to six figures in some cities to hire government employees to clean up human excrement. We've become, as Bill Bennett said once upon a time, the kind of country, or California has become the kind of state other countries used to send aid to. Um, that, 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 that's what California has become. On the other hand, Larry is, as you say, one of the most articulate people uh, that our movement could produce. He uh, has had tremendous exposure throughout the state of California, and I think he speaks to a common sense that this country is ready for and a renaissance in the African-American effort to reestablish itself with the Republican Party, which it was tied to for at least 100 years after the Civil War. Um, I, I, so I, I think this is, this is not only likely, this is not only possible, but probable. And if it becomes true that Larry Elder becomes the next governor, Tevi, um, that changes the country as well. It also answers a question, I think, about what the Republican Party is. There's a lot of questions in the kinds of circles and um, in the kinds of uh, circles of think tanks in Washington, D.C., I know, in conferences, whether, what, what's next for the Republican Party? What is the Republican Party today? What is conservatism? Larry answers that question in a way that should satisfy, I would think, 90 percent of the movement. But can we pick up on all that when we come back on the other side of this break? Yeah, let's do it. I'll be right back with more from Tevi Troy on making Larry Elder the next vice president of the United States. Not just the governor of California, but the next vice president. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have presidential and cultural historian Dr. Tevi Troy with us. We're talking a little bit about... The uh, race, uh, Larry Elder's race to become the next governor of California, which I believe is a very, uh, very possible and probable outcome. Tevi, my scenario I painted in the last segment, um, and if Larry Elder were to become the next governor of California, I do think it would help answer a question or at least a series of questions about what the Republican Party and the conservative movement stands for. Because in Larry, you have um, one of the most articulate uh, defenders of what you and I and once upon a time the crowd at National Review called, you know, fusionism. He has, an, uh, he has, he has put together the most important elements of our cause and stood for them strongly and in a way – that makes people um, understand what it is to be a conservative. You know, he's someone who gives a conservative a reason to be a conservative. And we haven't had a lot of that in the past. And I just think it could be very good for the party and the movement. And I also think given the way California uh, can project people into the national scene, it could put him on the presidential or vice presidential stage. Yes, Seth, I think those are all good points. One thing I would add is that our friend Lan Hee Chen, is now running for controller oh, wow. of California, wow. which is a very important role as a Republican, and he's from the Hoover Institution. And it just suggests that maybe things are changing a little bit in California, that they don't like the dysfunction, they don't like the homelessness, they don't like the crime, they don't like the six-figure pensions for government employees who retire in their, in their late 40s, early 50s. 
and maybe they want something new. Maybe they want a different approach. And uh, looking at people like Alan Chen and Larry Elder is a great place to start. Uh, Tevi, uh, you know, one Im- immediately thinks of what the power of Ronald Reagan of governor, as governor was. This would be uh, a close second to that. They have uh, different backgrounds, but in some ways similar backgrounds in the sense of having some t- somewhat been in entertainment for Larry. Uh, he had a TV show, his documentary, Uncle Tom. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's really one of the most beautifully produced documentaries I've ever seen. Hugely successful, by the way. Totally ignored by the mainstream and the establishment and the academy. Well, well, did they attempt to cancel it also? Yes, yes, absolutely. And 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 when it went in, uh, when they submit, they hired a lobbyist to submit it for the academy because it had a higher rating on IMDb than any other documentary that was being judged by the academy that year. It also made more money than all of them combined. And of course, it was nowhere mentioned, much less even nominated. That, of course, is not perhaps the greatest surprise. But the greatest surprise is he has box office. And as that great governor of California once said, don't confuse critics with box office. And I I think people like Larry could really do a great job. More people like Larry could help better define the conservative movement. Yeah, I I agree. And um, I think we need communicators. Yeah. And I think Larry Elder won is one. I think Lon Hee Chen, who we yep. often see on TV shows, is one. Yep. And I think that uh, people are sick of the way the state is run in California. And I know they think they're Democrats and the party ID is heavily Democrat. But you look around and you see the dysfunction. If there are people who can get up there and make the argument for why you should be Republican, and not just, oh, you know, your dad was a Republican, your mom was a Republican, but this set of policies is better for your jurisdiction, for your home, for your safety, I think that is just a better way to go. And I think both Larry and Lon He could do it. Actually, it would be a great ticket. Larry and Lon He, I just like the, uh, the, the symmetry of the name. Would you go down and work with them? That would be great. You and I could go I've and work for these Lon people. Can you ready imagine? To help them, however. <laughs> Leaps and Troy, Chen, Elder. That <laughs> would be <Right>. great <laughs> running the state. I'd like, to, I'd like the education or welfare portfolios. Uh, Tevi, um, but... You know, one of one of one of the important parts of this is what does conservatism stand for? And it's been with us ever since the advent of National Review and the birth of the modern conservative movement. Uh, People have tried to create um, a coalescing around individuals who, you know, embraced it and articulated it, as you say, gave people reason or one of us said it gave people reasons to be conservatives. They could articulate the message. Turns out it's it's increasingly important, especially if you're going to break through and go over the heads of the mainstream media. and, and 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 it does put one on the national stage. Ronald Reagan, uh, you, whom you were talking about, I was just thinking to myself, one of his first acts as governor in 1967, first month in office, was the firing of the head of the Board of Regents in California, Clark Kerr. Clark Kerr, yeah. That propelled Reagan to the national stage, such that he had the gumption to run for president almost in 1968. Well, he did. He went to Miami. And but for Nixon, probably would have become the nominee for the Republican Party that year, I'm guessing, based on one year of being governor. And I just think the way we compress time and rises become meteor- meteorologically fast, me- meteorically fast, Larry could very well be on the national stage in no time. Yeah, and can I just say something about Ronald Reagan and the greatness of Ronald Reagan? He was someone who was willing to take on the unruly protesters in a tumultuous time. And one of my favorite Ronald Reagan stories is Ronald Reagan is in a car being driven as 
student protesters are shouting outrageous things and screaming, and they're all dressed like crazies, and uh, they're they're trying to shut down traffic. And one of them is holding up a sign that says, "We are the future." And Reagan asks that the car be stopped, and he writes something on a piece of paper, and he holds it up to the window for the person to read. And what Ronald Reagan wrote on that piece of paper was, "I'm selling my bombs." Perfect, brilliant, illustrative, exactly right. And there was that Ronald Reagan. And at the same time, in the same incident, watch the Ronald Reagan. You can get the footage of this on YouTube, uh, talking to the reporters about those protests at Berkeley, where the reporters are talking about the root causes of the reason those students are protesting. And he looks at the press, root causes. You're the ones that encouraged this. You're the ones responsible for this. <laughs> You're the root causes. Yeah. And, and look, we see it today. Yeah. The way yeah. Protests they like versus protests they don't like. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I think Larry can solve that problem. He can solve. Boy, I don't know that we would have uh, that we would have a better general in our efforts uh, to combat uh, this uh, other virology leak from the labs, the labs of the of the ivory towers, the virology leak of the disease known as uh, critical race theory. He could push back pretty damn hard on that too. Seth, let me ask a question. Are you allowed to say on the radio ways that people can help Larry get elected? Yes, electelder.com to prove the point. Go there and give money. How's that Amen. for an answer? <laughs> How's that for an answer? <laughs> right, the answer I was hoping and expecting. Yes, but, um, <laughs> absolutely right. I'll go even further. I'll go even further. I think every other self-identifying Republican in that race ought to get out with some some level of humility and self-knowledge, knowing that if it's not Larry, it's none of them because they don't have it, and go around this very large state in this very compressed election season and do everything you can to campaign for Larry. That's what I would wish. I would think do. that would be terrific if all the Republicans in a show of unity right. got out of the race. Yep. They're not polling very high. Right. None of them have a real right. chance. They got out yep. and they said, I'm for Larry. Yep. And they all stood together yep. for Larry yep. and showed yep. that these Republican ideals and conservative perspectives can win in a state like California and can actually bring yep. improvements to the people of the state who need it. I mean, look at that. My God, that poll you said that 75% of San Franciscans want to leave. Yeah. Well, maybe if they want to leave so badly, they recognize the causes yep. of why they want to leave and are willing to vote accordingly. Absolutely right. And I think it also helps crystallize the effort to get a uh, affirmative vote on the first question. When you don't have a divided party, and yet you have a united one. I think it makes the uh, the retirement of Gavin Newsom uh, all the more all, all the more easier. Quite frankly, well, Tevi, always lovely, always wonderful talking to you. My best to the family, and we'll talk again soon. I hope. Thanks so much, Seth. I really appreciate it, and I always love being on the Seth Leach Show. God bless you, sir. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Sacramento is a long way from L.A. Can someone please redo that song for Larry Elder's candidacy? Frank Sinatra redid High Hopes for JFK. Can we go out with that? He's got High Hopes by Frank Sinatra, but it's the JFK version. If you Google or whatever you use to find Sinatra, John Kennedy, High Hopes song. That would be fun to go out with. Um, Joe Biden today in, in his speech about masking and the CDC's guidance, um, 
new guidance policies that even the vaccinated must mask. Um, I want and I, I just don't know how to impart this strongly enough. I, I want people to do their own research. Please, please, if you're interested in a story, particularly one that has, I think, dramatic consequences for society, like what we're being asked to do again and what our children are being asked to do again, I, I, I think it, 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 there's nothing you shouldn't read, including things like The Washington Post. Because even if you go to their main story, on the new CDC guidelines today, you'll you'll find what some people say even a blind squirrel can get on occasion, which is an acorn. This appears in the main Washington Post story, four authors to this story, in paragraph 35. It is paragraph 35, but it's there. Let me read it verbatim. Even... If tests find lots of virus in vaccinated people, it is uncertain how contagious they are. A study of immunized healthcare workers in Israel published yesterday in the New England Journal of Medicine, you can't get more current or more valuable than that, found 39 breakthrough infections among 1,497 fully vaccinated people. 39 infections among 1,500 vaccinated. About three-fourths of those people had, at some point while infected, what researchers characterized as high viral loads. A lot of the virus in them. There was no evidence that any of these breakthrough cases led substantially to other infections. There is no proof that the vaccinated can transmit the disease. Give us the proof.